live in a visual world where imagery can help define the narrative. Like anything, there is an art behind the images we see. And today, we're going to speak with a special guest who helps tell the story of agriculture using a camera. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Rural Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Adam Albrick, and I'm pleased to be joined by Katie Knapp, also known as the Ag Photographer. Welcome, Katie. Hello. Now, if we could, let's start out by getting to know you just a little bit better. What's your story? <laughs> sure. Well, I grew up on a farm in central Illinois and kind of was the quintessential farm kid in a rural small school that I was involved in everything from band to 4-H to sports and all of that. My parents, while we were growing up, told us that we could do whatever we wanted, but there was two things that we had to be involved in. We had to do the 4-H public speaking contest every year. And beyond that, we could have whatever projects we wanted and we had to give FFA a try as well. And those two things um, were the things that got me to where I'm at today the most uh, because I majored in ag communications at the University of Illinois and I have not looked back since then. Um, there was a small point in time where I thought I was going to be an optometrist and um, I've come full circle to that now using a camera. So thinking about optics kind of from a different perspective, I guess. Um, but after getting my ag communications degree at Illinois, I started in the advertising sector and worked at agencies across the Midwest who have ag clients. So I worked on animal health companies and seed companies and equipment companies and those kind of things. And eventually I uh, wanted to do something a little bit more strategic involving the farm to consumer dialogue. So uh, long story short, then I went to get my master's in visual sociology and had to go all the way to London to do that and studied in particular how people visualize where their food comes from, what the picture they hold in their mind is when they think through all of these buzzwords we have come to use like organic and sustainable and those kind of things. And when I came back to the US, gosh, it's been six years now, maybe, uh, went back to the advertising world and worked in communications planning a little bit. And then five years ago, I went out on my own as the ag photographer, as you just mentioned. So I have my own freelance photography business now. I'm a contributing field editor to the Furrow magazine produced by John Deere. And then I do more editorial work as well as commercial work. So those advertising agencies that I used to work at are now my clients as well as you know many others. So every day is, well, not every day, but the, the good days of my job are spending um, time on a farm somewhere across the world, really, uh, with the camera in my hand. Yeah, that sounds like quite the story here. And we're going to touch on a few <laughs> of these things, you know, as we go along. But I guess uh, let's let's start off by focusing on photography. Why photography and what led you to ultimately pick up that camera? Yes. So... I started uh, 
my photography journey in college. Um, part of the ag communications program at Illinois at the time I was there was did um, film black and white photography. We had a photography course and we had our own dark room just for our own little corner of the campus. We didn't have to go over to the art school or anything. And in that class, I fell in love with Dorothea Lang's work. So Dorothea Lang was the photographer from the Dust Bowl era when the Farm Communications Act was going on. And, um, and she's the one that took the migrant mother photo that you might be picturing in your mind now of um, a lady sitting with a concerned look on her face, touching her face and a child in her lap. And that work really lit a fire for me about the importance of imagery in storytelling and communications. And I also, I was at the University of Illinois when Facebook became a thing. So when I was a freshman, we didn't have social media. By the time I graduated, it was, you know, the beginnings of what it is now. Uh, so imagery was a huge part of that. And as a society, our, our visual IQ has come a long way as well as we've gotten our smartphones and there's just that much more to look at. Um, but, but to me, at the same time, in communications, um, th there's a lot of um, subjectivity to imagery, but there's a lot of subjectivity to words as well. Plus, once you layer in a dialect and different languages and things like that, um, the imagery to me is is really important in telling the whole story and getting it in a plane that the the giver and the receiver is kind of interpreting the same thing. What have you learned through your time in this line of work? <laughs> oh, that's a loaded question. I could take that in lots of different ways. Um, well, well, take it in a way that you please. <laughs> so in the last, you know, I guess since grad school, I will say, um, you know, what really what really pushed me to this line of research and where I have taken my photography is really in giving understanding and perspective. And um, before that, there, there was a lot of mistrust of consumers with farmers. And there was just, a, there was lots of studies being done about the nuances between farming and farmers. Um, and, and how prescriptive the art of farming should be that you should be that consumers, you know, think that it should be done one certain way. Um, and we in ag obviously know that it varies within even one acre on how you are going to grow whatever crop you're growing or um, animal. And um, so it really does boil down to the, the people um, and I think through photography, I can show that a lot better um, in a way that the consumer can um, appreciate and understand more so than we can with just words. Obviously, the words are always going to be there and be very important, but showing the people doing the thing does a lot for the conversation. 
So what stands out to you when you work with farmers? This spring, I had the opportunity to photograph a lot of high school and college farm kids. Normally, if I'm on a farm, it's probably middle of the day. Um, and those kids are away at school, whether that just be you know in town or they're off at university. So my, my typical subject you know, is, is that typical farmer. He's, he's middle-aged and he's maybe an introvert. He's worked his whole life by himself or with just his family and, you know, doesn't get his picture taken all that often. <laughs> and this spring I took all these pictures of high school kids who just loved it. And I was like, who knew high school kids like to take their, have their picture taken? But of course they do. I mean, hello, they love selfies. Yep. Um, you got the, you got the Snapchat and Instagram, <laughs> uh, now TikTok generation. Yeah. Right. So that made me really hopeful for like the future of my career that my subjects are going <laughs> to want me there more than their dads do now. But that being said, I, I really like, I mean, I just, uh, farmers are hard to take photos of and get that genuine, that genuine picture. And, and farmers are also very critical of themselves, right? I, I don't know a farmer who wouldn't flip through a magazine and know exactly which ad had a actor, a talent person in it, and which one was a real farmer. I mean, they can discern it. And I'm fortunate enough to be able, because I shoot by myself, I don't bring a 10-person crew, and I, I'm a farm girl, farmer's daughter myself, and I, I've been known to drive the grain cart tractor and those kind of things as well, so they, they relax for me, you know, they, they forget that I have two cameras around my neck, and they do just start, you know, having a conversation with me so I can get those real moments captured. So I know you mentioned this a little bit before, but there's a there's a certain amount of subjectiveness to everything but and and I understand that your answer is probably going to go along this line but what makes a successful image you know when i think of something that's very iconic you know something like raising the flag at Iwo Jima during World War II that's an iconic image the moon landing or maybe it's like the beatles crossing abbey road like what makes a successful image to you well it starts with the kind of the rules of the graphic design kind of elements, right? The, the rule of thirds, do you have it framed up well? My mom is a quilt pattern designer, um, so she deals with geometry every day, all day. So I learned at a very young age that straight things need to be straight. So the, you know, the basic of how I think one of my photos is successful is, you know, is the horizon straight? Is, is the pole in the background straight? Those kind of things, right? But rules are meant to be broken, right? So not always will that be the case. But what I strive for are, like I mentioned, the moments. And the photos that you just described are also moments, right? You know, Ansel Adams obviously had great photos too, and his are purely landscapes. But just like that migrant mother photo of Dorothea Langs, it's getting a moment that you can see into past that microsecond, right? That you can, it gives you wonder that makes you want to know more about the story 
or or tells you more about the story because of the way it is framed up and um so that's gesture and um of course you know all of that is is made or is enhanced by good lighting and you know having things in focus and those kind of things but some of some of the really great photos out there are not quite crystal sharp you know so to me it's capturing that emotion right and and that that's actually where i was going to go next with this is uh, how important is that emotion in terms of eliciting really the feelings on the viewer's side of things so this is where i think that visuals do a bit better job of bringing together the viewer and the sender of the information um, than words do necessarily um, because you're all kind of seeing that same thing. But a lot of times in my work versus, you know, a photographer that's in a different industry, um, you know, I'm giving access to somebody through my camera that they don't have access to farms. Um, you know, part of the reason this whole part of ag communications exists is because people in the city don't have access to the places that we grew up in, right? Um, the, last year at about this time, I was out west in um, Washington and was able to shoot inside of a, pack, a meat pack, excuse me, meat packing plant. Um, and I was given complete access, you know, I could have taken pictures of anything from start to finish. Um, and that was actually the first time that I had been allowed to shoot inside of a packing plant while I was running. So, you know, the general person is definitely never going to get into that. And you think about how important that is to the to the story of this spring about what happens inside of a meat packing plant and understanding just how close those people are or how far apart they are or what their their procedures are and all of that you can you can have a 2000 word article to describe that but one image does that in a, in a completely different way and kind of strips down all of the barriers to getting that information. I don't know how much, you know, in that particular image kind of thing that you might be conjuring up in your mind, how much the emotion is as important as just the items that are inside the frame. But it also depends on the story that you're trying to tell. And sometimes that story doesn't come out until you've put together a set of images and see what comes out of the moment that you weren't even aware of as the the image creator in the moment. Yeah, and that, that's gotta be kind of neat, uh, seeing things in the background that you didn't initially see through the, uh, the, the lens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now you have a very unique master's degree, which you referenced earlier, and I'd like to talk about that just a little bit more. What led you to that particular emphasis and also to take you across the pond? Yeah, yeah, visual sociology. Uh, so sociology kind of is has two different camps, um, research on a specific topic and then research through a specific method. So visual sociology is method based, meaning that you use visual research tools to create data on whatever topic you're interested in. 
And I got to that point because I had been both on the advertising and PR side of the communications agencies and in strategic planning. And, and I got to the point where I, I wanted the audience, I wanted to know more about what the audience needed and how we as um, a service provider or a product provider, um, you know, the things that we were advertising, how we could solve those problems for the audience. You know, in my um, point, that was, you know, a farmer, right? And, and to me, that was social, the answer to that was sociology, understanding how we're understanding things as, as a larger group and what the collective needed and how to discern that without or going beyond just kind of a, a survey monkey kind of tool. And, and at the same time, I was just kind of ready for something else um, career-wise. And I had looked at different programs like journalism programs and um, photography programs and mass communications and strategic communications. And then I came across this association for visual sociology and I was like, visual sociology, what is this? So I you know, went down the Google rabbit hole and it was exactly what I wanted. I wanted to, it was about how people see things, right? So after lots of searching, I realized that you cannot get that master's degree in the United States. There are a few programs that have a course in that, you know, one class or two classes, but you could not get a full degree in that, but you could in London. And so I kind of said, why not? Because I, I say why not a lot in my life and it usually goes well. Um, so I said, why not? And my cousin and I had already uh, planned a, a vacation to Ireland. So I said, I think we need to add on a weekend to London and go check this place out. Uh, so I did, and I interviewed and they said, why not to me? <laughs> and I got a student visa and off I went. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was it was a fantastic decision and a really good change to the bubble I was in, which, you know, especially in today's climate where we really need to think about those who are not in our little bubble. We need to think about that a lot more. Um, growing up in rural Illinois and going to the land grant university in agriculture uh, and then working in agriculture, although I was living in the cities when I was working in those advertising agencies, it was a, it was really good to get out of my comfort zone, live in central London, go to a very small, very liberal arts um, school and, you know, learn a new perspective and get a degree. <laughs> you know, those were all just kind of the, the, the life lessons, right? Not to mention all of the lessons I learned in, in the classroom. So it was, it was great. So it, it informs my decisions and how I frame up images now, for sure. Uh, I've myself have visited and toured several European countries, including the UK, and their opinions on food and, and how it's produced and even uh, consumed is, is different than it is here. So that had to be an interesting and unique experience that you could bring back just in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I left agencies where I was promoting 
GMOs, right? And I went to a country that said, nope, we're just not going to go there, you know, in that whole, whole part of the process. So, yeah. And then when you were over there, the, the thesis you worked on, I think, is also probably pretty relevant to this conversation and those listening along. Could you just share a little bit about what you worked on and what the conclusions you took away? Yeah. So as I uh, briefly mentioned at the beginning, I, I studied how people visualize where their food comes from. So I this was right at the height of kind of across the industry here in the U.S. We were we were learning the talking points about what consumers wanted to know about our food and and like I said, talking points and they were just getting kind of like automatic and and i wanted to dig into that a little bit more and see what really did resonate with consumers and how we could be portraying that on the ag side better so using the visual method so i i took um, images about 100 150 images about food production from across the gamut um any different production uh type or um commodity or livestock, whatever, and showed these uh, images to my research participants and had them talk about what resonated with them and what matched their mental picture and whether that matched in a good way that made them feel good about how their food was raised or matched, but in a, in a bad way that they, they thought that process um, was not ideal. So, you know, could have related to GMOs or something. I don't know. But anyway, so through the course of that, I was able to um, document which images kind of fell at the um, bookends of those conversations of what really resonated with them and what didn't and what matched um, their mental picture. And then I, um, I repeated the research with a participants that were in ag. So I had two different data sets. And what came out of that, and, and you can um, find these images on my website. So if you want to dig through later, if this piques your curiosity, but what, what came out of that was I put together this image that was layered of the 10 images that ranked the highest. So on one side of the spectrum was what consumers wanted to see in their mind about how their food was raised. And then the other side was how farmers believed it to be as well. And then it was what was good or what was ideal and what was not ideal in those two categories. And it created this really interesting quadrant of images that the consumer ideal picture in their head is green it includes livestock on pasture. It includes um, a human touching that livestock. It um, includes crop field images that um, have some diversity in it. On the on the farmer's ideal, it's uh, very very straight. There's lots of lines and organization. It's also very brown and metallic. That there's um, you know, technology and equipment and efficiencies showing through in the image. It also has a human interacting with that commodity or animal. And then on the non-ideal spectrum on the consumer side, it shows kind of large confinement livestock 
pictures and a lot more of the metal on the on the non-ideal on the farmer side it shows some of that random you know not straight lined or maybe a picture that has a field that has lots of weeds in it that the consumer maybe also interpreted that as biodiversity those kind of things what was interesting as far as my outcome on that is the similar similarities across the two very different images on the ideal side so the similarity was that the farmer was interacting with whatever he was growing or she was growing and and that's where i've kind of run with and um, you know that that emotion and moment and having my photos be about the, the person who is doing it. And the, the difference in those ideal pictures is efficiency and profit, which, you know, isn't a, a literal thing in the photo, right? But that's what came through in the conversations with um, the people I had in my research project. Um, and it's who's allowed to profit in the, the chain and where and how efficiency plays into profit. When you break it down with just one person sitting across the table from you and they go, why is that combine so big? It doesn't even fit in the barn behind the combine in the image. And then you explain that the combine has to be that big in order to get across enough acres because of the profit margins that those crops that grow well on that acreage provides. And then when mother nature says you only have this big of a window, like the equation gets to a combine that that is that big. And then when you go on to say, and that happens to be my dad's combine and you know, those, those economics are such that sent my brother and I to college, you know, those things. And they go, Oh, Oh, I get it. I get it. Cause it's stripping back that, you know, quote unquote, big ag, um, that might be veiling, um, a consumer's thought process otherwise. But, you know, on the other flip side of that, you know, the, the smallholder, the, the consumer is saying, for sure, like, I will pay more for those couple tomatoes because I know that who is creating it. You know, all of those things that are, are layered through our conversations these days really popped out in my, my research and allow me to kind of direct how I create more images to be consumed out there. Yeah, and, and honestly... This is highly fascinating stuff to me, but you know, you you live in an urban area now, where I there do. isn't exactly a lot of agricultural activity happening, or at least not in the same way it's being done in a rural area. So, what are conversations like for you when you hear people talking about food and how it's either grown or raised in those urban settings, knowing and going through the experiences that you have in your research? Yeah, so I live in Minneapolis in the Longfellow area. So as we um, record this just after all of the riots, we are now in a food desert because we don't have a grocery store. But also what's unique about this neighborhood is that it has one of two original victory gardens from back in the World War One or World War Two when they started. Yep. Um, and so there, there's a huge gardening um, sense in this neighborhood. Um, the, the Victory Garden that is here is flourishing. 
And so, and there's lots of, um, nobody on, on my um, kind of close couple block radius has chickens, but there are chickens in the neighborhood. And, you know, my, my conversations with my neighbors, you know, they just find what I do fascinating. And of course they, they, they have the idyllic sense of farm um, in their, their mind that maybe their grandparents farmed or an aunt and uncle or something. And there's, there's lots of farm to table kind of restaurants in Minneapolis. And, and a lot of that is, it's vegetable based, right? I, I'm really curious to see in the next year or so as the supply chains kind of the kinks work themselves back out and, you know, the price of bacon stabilizes again and you you aren't limited to how much milk you can buy and things like that after we get through the pandemic or hopefully get through the pandemic soon. Um, I'm interested to see how, how that affects the opinions and way of thinking from urban consumers and you know if if there's any change on their thoughts on commodity-based programs versus direct vegetables and you know farm to table csa those kind of things i i don't know i it'll be it'll be interesting to watch yeah now on the flip side of things we're hearing more and more of a call to action for farmers to really get out there and get active get in front of consumers or to go tell their story, to put it quite simply. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for them to help reach more people? Well, I mean, I, I I will never be the one that says every farmer needs to have a social media or website or whatever. I mean, if, if that's not your cup of tea, like, it's not your cup of tea. But to engage in conversations and to engage in it thoughtfully and and as a as a person to person versus approaching it as you are speaking for the entire industry i think that's where it can the conversation can get a little lost um but if if you're talking to somebody and you just break it down to say well on my farm this is what we do or putting some images up on your personal Facebook or something when you get to the field um, or explaining what side dressing is or, you know, explaining just some of that jargon. I think if we all do that a little bit more than we have been, I think we'll be loads ahead. And, and coming back to my research, I mean, it's, it's people, people love farmers. It's the farming that gets a little sticky because they don't understand all of the ins and outs of it. I mean, let's be honest, like none of us understand the ins and outs of like, you know, building a roadway or whatever. We don't need to, right? That intel inside. You don't need to know every detail about everything, but you need to know that the person who's doing it cares about what they're doing and is educated and doing it well, right? So that's the, that's what we should be sharing is that we're passionate and that we're doing the best we can and continually improving. Who cares if it's this seed versus that seed? I mean, the the consumer doesn't need to know all of those details. And also they should be taking some pictures of themselves touching really cute barn animals, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. If you've got baby lambs, man. That's the key? Lambs? Put put that picture up. (laughs) (laughs) Or how about about grandkids doing interacting? (laughs) That that is the the number one picture. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. There's the money shot right there. Babies, puppies, baby animals. There you go. Yeah. 
And it's it really is amazing that the technology that exists within even cell phones today, you know, newer models have cameras that are capable of taking some really nice shots. I mean, you can even take some some 4K photos with certain brands and 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 uh, models. How can farmers and ranchers put these mini cameras to good use then? Well, so something I learned way back in my very first uh, photography class was the best camera that you have is the camera that you have. You know, we don't need to get caught up in the technology and is is it good enough? Because, I mean, let's be honest, most of the time we're consuming images on a screen, right? So if you're consuming your images on a smartphone, taking images on a smartphone is just fine. I would say, you know, if you're if you're taking photos with the intention of posting them for a broader audience, to do just a little introspection when you go to start taking that image, you know, like make sure that it is if there is a post right behind the person and it's coming right out of their head, like just move just ever so slightly and it'll improve the image that much more, right? Um, I mentioned earlier that as a society, our visual IQ is increasing. And that is simply said, like we are, we're, as a society, we're able to recognize a good photo better than we have been. So if you're taking snapshots just to document something that happened, great, do it. However you are in the moment. If you're taking photos to publish and whatever publish means to you, if you take a split second to just look through the background and say, okay, if I moved my foot one foot this direction, would that improve the image? Or if I knelt down, or if I stood on my tippy toes, or, you know, turn the camera from landscape to vertical, whatever those kind of things are, you can improve an image really quickly with those little tips. Awesome. Well, if listeners are interested in learning more about you or would like to see some of your work, where can they go to get that? Sure. Uh, you can find me all over the internet at the ag photographer. My website is that, uh, my Instagram handle is that, and my Facebook is that as well. Well, perfect. It has been a very enjoyable conversation. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. That is Katie Knapp, also known as the ag photographer. That's going to do it for us on this episode of the Rural Perspectives podcast, which is a production of Egg Country Farm Credit Services. To get more great content, please visit our website at www.eggcountry.com. <laughs>